An eventful first night of the 2023 NFL Draft is in the books, and the Seahawks making both of their selections at number five and number 20. Maybe a bit of a surprise with both of those selections. I'll be breaking down the decision to pick Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba on a day one recap here on Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, even on a super late episode like this with the first round lasting four hours or so in change. Had to wait for a while to get our day one recap in. But again, a special thanks to all the 12s, as always, for being patient as we get ready for this show. The Seahawks making two selections tonight in the first round. Maybe a bit of a surprise going with Devin Witherspoon at pick number five, as well as Jackson Smith and Jigba at pick number 20. I'll be breaking down both of those selections, what it means for the Seahawks in the short and long term, and why really fans shouldn't be surprised even if some experts are, by either one of these selections. Then I'll be looking at the best players available for Seattle going into day two on offense and defense. They'll be picking pretty quickly in the second round with pick number 37. Also have another second rounder at pick 52. So we'll be diving into some of those prospects. This day one recap is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise, this is the game for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise by using the promo locked on that's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on our post day 1 edition recap of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks went into Thursday night with plenty of questions about who they were going to select at pick number 5 and even after a rough off season in which he was arrested and also had a poor pro day performance Many still expected the Seahawks were going to select Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter with their fifth selection if he was available. As it turns out, even though he was still on the board, the Seahawks decided to go a different direction. And a player that we have talked about quite a bit on this podcast had a top 30 visit, also met with the team at the Combine, according to the player himself, talking to reporters today. So Devin Witherspoon and the Seahawks, the two of them had a lot of interest in one another throughout this pre-draft process. And Pete Carroll simply could not resist the opportunity to bring in what he called a rare player at the cornerback position. In fact, comparing him to a former Hall of Famer that played for him at USC, take a listen to what Pete Carroll had to say about his newest draft pick at number five overall, Devin Witherspoon. You know, we have not drafted corners high in, in just because we haven't come across a guy of this, this makeup. It's really a, it's his athletic ability, it's his speed, it's, it's his playmaking. It's his mentality. Uh, haven't come across a guy like this in a long time. Last time I, 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 I recognized this kind of makeup was uh, back at SC. We had a guy that he had made over Troy Palomalo was a guy that had an extraordinary way about the way he played the game. And I, I saw this connection between uh, uh, you know, what Devin does and how he looks at the game and how he approaches it that uh, just knocked me out. So I'm I just, I just really excited about this. It's, just, it's tough. It's 
got an attitude. He's going to spring. He's going to fit in right with our guys. Uh, that's a it's a great matchup for us. It was a bit of an eyebrow right eyebrow razor. Excuse me. Hearing Pete Carroll compare Devin Witherspoon, an outside boundary cornerback, to legendary Hall of Fame safety Troy Palomalu. And what I want listeners to understand, this doesn't mean the Seahawks are going to be moving him to safety. That is not at all the plan. Although Carroll did tell me today when I asked him about positional fit, whether he could move inside, he made it clear that the Seahawks would have the option to be able to slide him in and play some in the nickel. He moved around at Illinois, played left corner, right corner, played some in the nickel. So this is a really versatile athlete with a basketball background that has picked up football very quickly. He did not start playing the game until he was a junior in high school. So he's really been playing football for five years. He was a decorated basketball player. And you can see that in the way that he moves on the field. And there are a lot of things that were really appealing about this pick. And we broke down the prospect. In fact, I know there were some earlier mock drafts where I mentioned that I thought it was a possibility the Seahawks might take Devin Witherspoon. And it wasn't just because of those visits that they had with him. You just look at the strengths, the skills that he brings to the table coming into the NFL. And this guy just screams Seahawk, even though he's only 180 pounds. He doesn't fit that 32-inch arm threshold that used to be a deal breaker for the Seahawks, or at least it felt like it was. They didn't draft any corners with shorter arms like that that played outside. But this guy is a ball hawk. You just look at the numbers last season. He had more pass breakups than any player in college football, according to Pro Football Focus, 35.3% completion rate. That was the third best in the entire country. 25.3 passer rating. That was the best in the country. And he had three interceptions. And those numbers probably would have been up there higher if teams wouldn't have stopped throwing at him late in the season. It really was a case where they were giving him the Richard Sherman treatment like we saw in the Legion of Boom where quarterbacks stopped throwing to one side of the field. That's what happened in the second part of the year for Devin Witherspoon. And you also add in, as Carol talked about in his press conference today numerous times, the physicality and toughness. This guy hits like a linebacker at 180 pounds. He is a menace on the outside that is looking for kill shots. Now, he hits pretty clean. This is not a guy that gets ejected for targeting but he is a big hitter and extremely instinctive for a player who really has not played very much football. There are a few plays that jump out from my film study. A couple of them I posted on my Twitter account at Corbin Smith NFL. One big hit he had against Indiana. He read screen before the snap even happened, came shooting upfield and just obliterated the receiver for nearly a 10-yard loss. There are hits like that littered throughout his film. So you are getting a guy that plays with great pride, and he plays the game the right way. Pete Carroll called him a gym rat. And so this is a guy that wants to get better. He has a desire to play the game. So I thought that that comment from both of Seattle's draft picks, mentioning they were both gym rats, that was telling in regard to compare to Jalen Carter, who we know there's been plenty of speculation about how much he loves football and his work ethic for the Seahawks to choose to go with a cornerback here, which quite frankly, corner is a strong position for the Seahawks compared to a lot of other spots on their roster. You can maybe make an argument it's the most stable position on their team. But just like they did last year, the Seahawks decided, you know what, we are not going to reach for a need with a guy that we have questions about. Or we are not confident in his ability to come in and embrace our culture and follow our leaders. We are going to pick who we think is the best player available. And that's really what the Seahawks did all of last year's draft. They went chalk, which was so different. So 
while there's going to be narratives out there that the Seahawks threw a curveball here, we certainly don't view it as a curveball and locked on Seahawks. We talked about this possibility for the last three and a half, four weeks that a corner, Devin Witherspoon specifically, could be the pick at number five. And Seattle decided to make that move because he, in their mind, was the best football player that was available. And you put him with Tariq Woolen on the outside, maybe get some reps in the slot, move him around. Maybe they have a traveling corner, something they haven't done in the past you get a healthy Jamal Adams, you get Quandre Diggs and Julian Love there. This has a chance to be a very special secondary. And I'm not going to say it's the next coming of the Legion of Boom, but certainly when you invest these kind of picks in a corner, which Seattle has not done in the past, uh, that is very telling what their plans are. And they're going to say that he's got to compete to win the starting job. Of course they're going to say that. But number five overall pick, you expect that he's going to be in the starting lineup with Tariq Woolen. You're going to have two guys. They have different skill sets, but both very good football players. And by default, that is going to help your pass rush. That's what the Seahawks have to believe. And obviously, they know the defensive line is a huge area of concern. They're not oblivious to that. They've been talking about it all offseason. But they wanted to have a blue-chip talent. There are not very many of those in this class. They're staking a claim that Devin Witherspoon is one of those few guys. By sticking at number five, not even really considering trading up or down, they knew who their guy was. They identified it, and they drafted him. So now he's got a great chance to go to a – team that has had a lot of success developing cornerbacks that have become Pro Bowl and All-Pro players. The Seahawks are banking on Devin Witherspoon being the next one. Coming up next, the Seahawks didn't have just one first-round pick today, and they actually stayed at the skill positions, this time on the offensive side of the football. I'll be taking a close look at Jackson Smith in Jigba, where he fits into Seattle's offense, and why I believe that he is a near-perfect pick for what they needed on the offensive side of the football. We'll get to that coming up next on our day one recap here on Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game, Ultimate Football GM. And if you've ever dreamed of becoming a GM like John Schneider and managing your football franchise, your dream can now come true. And this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money running your own team, this is the way to go. Altman Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play as you want on the go and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun with their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise by using the promo Locked On. That is in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by going to ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to the day one recap here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad for all the 12s out there as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You got to make sure to check out on the Locked On NFL scouting YouTube page. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, and other Locked On NFL local experts will be doing live NFL draft coverage. That's going to continue into the second and third round tomorrow, presented by Altman Football GM. And then on Saturday, they'll get you caught up after each round. So make sure to join the draft dudes for the first round and second and third round as well on YouTube on the Locked Up NFL scouting page starting at 7.30 Eastern time. 
All right, let's get to Seattle's second draft pick because this was a rare opportunity for Seattle. Not often that they get to pick twice in the first round, but they get the number five overall pick, part of the Russell Wilson trade coming from the Denver Broncos. They also pick at number 20, their native selection. And this was one that was kind of up in the air leading up to the pick. Once you got into the mid-teens, there were a few surprises of the Detroit Lions being the team that, that, you know, they picked players I liked, but Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell in the first round, not necessarily where I was expecting those two players to go. But other than that, there were a lot of picks that did follow in line with what the mock drafts were showing. Teams like Washington picking a corner, for example, and Emmanuel Forbes. There were a lot of picks that fit with the narrative. So Seattle was in a position that was kind of unique. Were they going to get that defensive lineman after skipping out on Jalen Carter at pick number five? Were they going to get an edge rusher? Maybe they would look at one of the other top receivers or an offensive lineman. Maybe John Michael Schmitz in there. They decided to go with a receiver picking Jackson Smith in Jigba out of Ohio State. Now, this is an interesting one in the sense that if this was two years ago, John Schneider pointed this out today, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is healthy during his junior season, doesn't have a hamstring injury that makes him miss all but three games, he is probably a top 10 selection because only two years ago, had almost 1,600 receiving yards and was one of the most prolific receivers in all of college football. And this is a school, Ohio State, that has been kicking out elite talents at the receiver position for several years running. They've got a pretty good track record of developing these guys, not only to be good college players, but to be really good NFL players. And so there's a lot of reasons to believe that Jackson Smith and Jigba would have been a top 10 selection. You look at the numbers that he posted two years ago for the Buckeyes. He ranked eighth in the country with 95 receptions. He was third in receiving yards with 1595, nine touchdowns. That was only 21st, but still a really solid number in the scores department. And he ranked second in the entire country in yards after the catch, almost 800 yards with the football in his hands after the catch. Forced 19 missed tackles, which was tied for 12th. Had a few drops sprinkled in there, but overall an extremely productive receiver. And there's some things about him that don't necessarily jump out in regard to some of the other receivers Seattle has drafted. They have typically liked guys that are vertical threats. This is not necessarily the game for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Can he win down field occasionally? Yes, and he's really good at tracking the football on deep passes. So he'll catch you off guard occasionally and win on vertical routes, but that's not really where his game is predicated. He is at his best running routes from the slot where he can use his elite change of direction skills. We're talking a guy that's in the 97th, 98th percentile when it comes to three-cone drill and short shuttle. He is that good at changing direction. He's that quick, and you can see it on the game film, not just when he's running routes. This guy's a really slick route runner. C.J. Stroud said he's the best route runner he's ever thrown to, and Ohio State's had some other really good receivers come through there the last couple of years, including the rookie of the year last year, Garrett Wilson. So, that is really high praise, and this guy finds ways to get open. That's the key to his game. As he was asked today, what's your greatest strength? He says, I get open, and that's what he does because of those change direction skills and the precise route running. And when he gets the ball in his hands, the acceleration, the ability to get up to top speed. He might not be a burner. He only ran in the low four fives, which is still ex acceptable speed, but he's not a burner necessarily. 
but he's able to get up to that speed so quickly that he's able to leave defenders in the dust and he's able to get all that yardage that he had at Ohio State after the catch. These are things the Seahawks badly need, and they've been trying to find for several years running. Really, they have not had that middle-of-the-field threat that can create after the catch since Doug Baldwin retired after the 2018 season. They haven't been able to find that third complementary target. I believe Jackson Smith and Jigba has all the tools to be that player. Now, there's a little bit of boomer bust here because he only had one dominant season at Ohio State the other two years mediocre stats due to injuries or just having too many guys in front of him his freshman year with all the talent that's come through Columbus at the receiver position. At the same time, that one season was so spectacular, and you could just see all of those traits that have a chance to translate really well to the NFL. And This is what they need in this offense. They ran just a little over 50% of their plays last year in 13 personnel with three receivers on the field. Shane Waldron comes from the Rams, and the Rams were north of 90%. Now, I don't think the Seahawks are going to jump that much, but they need to have that third receiver that can be a complement, that can attack the middle of the field, that can make those contested catches, is slippery in space, forces missed tackles. That's what D. Eskridge was supposed to do, and I don't know this necessarily means that they're giving up on D. Eskridge, but now he's going to face a steep climb to be the number three receiver. You just invested a first-round pick in a guy – He's probably cemented at best as your number four. The clock is ticking for him. He is going to have to stay healthy and show that he can still go out there and do some of the things the Seahawks wanted him to do. But this truly tells you that, at least from a number three standpoint, Seattle's ready to turn the page. We believe that this guy's the best receiver in this draft class. He was the first one that was selected. We are going to get the football to him, and he's going to do some things that are really going to accentuate this offense. And it's going to open things up for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And so he's a guy that we've mocked to Seattle a lot for a reason, because those traits really stand out as areas that the Seahawks could use help at the receiver position that can take an already potent passing game to a whole other level. I think probably the happiest person right now is Geno Smith. And as Pete Carroll's talking about today after the press conference, Geno Smith was already trying to get a hold of his new receiver so that they could start talking about things, get some workouts scheduled. We're having some difficulties getting that done tonight. But uh, the fact is, this certainly makes Seattle's offense much more potent if Jackson Smith and Jigba can stay healthy. That's the biggest thing coming off last year's injury. He says he's in great shape 100% now after missing most of last year, the hamstring injury. If he's healthy, he brings some unique skills and a new dimension to this offense that has a chance to really take this entire passing game to a whole other level. And I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are going to benefit a lot from this too. They have not had that consistent presence at the number three spot. And you could say the tight ends are going to be helped by this too, even if it does limit how much they end up playing two and three tight end personnel compared to last year. They're going to have more sets with three receivers, but this opens up the offense and it's going to help the run game as a result too. You can look at this being one of those cases where it's really a ripple effect. And so I really like this pick. I liked the first pick as well. And I know there's going to be some skeptics out there and I know they need to address the defensive line. John Schneider made it clear today when they were talking about not having any issues skipping Jalen Carter at pick number five because they knew what their big board looked like with conviction. They're going to pick Devin Witherspoon, but he, like he said, we know that we need help along the defensive line. So you know those picks are going to be coming up, and there's still some pretty solid prospects available going into day two. This was another case where they attacked best player available. Let's go get that elite corner to put across from Tariq Woolen. Let's get a receiver that has 
a unique set of skills that's a little different than what we have on the roster compared to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that's going to help them out. It's going to help Geno Smith out and help this entire offense take it to another level in 2023 and beyond. And so, again, best player available. They were attacking with those two first-rounders. Let's get some real difference makers in here. And then they can attack the rest of the meat of the roster moving forward. And speaking of that, we're going to be looking at the best players available going into day two coming up next, breaking down some offensive and defensive prospects that I think would still be good fits for the Seahawks from a positional need standpoint and a scheme standpoint. We'll get to those coming up next here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, you need the best tasting protein bar ever, Built Bars. You got to try them. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but don't want to compromise on taste, Built Bars are the answer for you. Seriously, they taste like a candy bar and they're good for you. You got to try them. Built Bars are so good because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, 100% real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies, and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar and have amazing macros. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait at home to get a box shipped to you. You can head over to Walmart or your local Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. Head over to your nearest Walmart today. You can go get a four-bar box in the pharmacy section of double chocolate or coconut puff. You can also go to Sam's Club and get a 13-bar box with other hip flavors such as brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for our everydayers out there, don't forget to tune in tomorrow for our Blue Friday episode. Again, will be a late-night episode breaking down Seattle's second and third-round selections and looking at the best players available heading into day three, the final day of the 2023 NFL Draft. Speaking of best players available, Seahawks made their first two picks today, but they've got plenty of picks coming up on day two, the second and third rounds on Friday, starting with pick number 37 in the second round, pick they acquired from the Denver Broncos, their native selection at pick 52, middle of the second round, and then they have pick 83 in round three. Maybe there's a chance that they end up pushing that total to four by trading down. I would think at this point they're probably going to be acquiring day three picks if they trade down. But nonetheless, an opportunity for them to potentially recoup some additional picks and add some more players. For now, they've got three picks on day two. So who would be the best players available? Let's start on the offensive side of the football and there's a few position groups I'm omitting now. The Seahawks drafted a receiver. That doesn't mean they couldn't draft another one later in the draft, but I'm looking at guys here on day two at other position groups they have not addressed yet. And I want to start with the offensive line. There's two guys in particular that jump out to me with center versatility, or they are traditional centers. Cody Mock from North Dakota State, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, Michael Schmitz is the one that has been linked to the Seahawks all this time. They loved him coming out of the Senior Bowl. But I could see Cody Mock being another player that they're enamored by, not just because he's a tough physical player. His versatility is immense. This is a guy that I think could play guard, center, maybe even tackle for some teams in the NFL at a high level. In Seattle, he would obviously be an interior offensive lineman. I think the best fit for him is guard, but he proved to the Senior Bowl that he can play center, even with the limited experience that he has there. So if the Seahawks think that's the position he's going to play, could be a fit. 
John Michael Schmitz would be a day one candidate to start for you at center. A guy that was getting some first round buzz, didn't hear his name called. I expect he's going to go early in the second round. Maybe the Seahawks at pick 37 would make sense, but both these guys are tough. They're physical. They can maul guys off the line of scrimmage. They're solid pass protectors. They would have a chance to be long-term starters for the Seattle Seahawks in the interior. And one other interior lineman that maybe isn't as good of a scheme fit under Andy Dickerson, but I still think would be a nice addition. Osiris Torrance from Florida, a different style player, almost 340 pounds. He's lighter on his feet than you would expect, though, and didn't give up a sack in his entire college career with two different schools. And so he's been very solid in pass protection. He brings some leadership intangibles to the table. All three of those guys are available going into day two. I can see Seattle taking one of those three players to upgrade their interior offensive line. Away from the offensive line, Will Levis, the quarterback from Kentucky, still remains available. Now, I have been very open about my assessment of him and it looks like the league may have felt the same way he was viewed as potentially a top five pick by a lot of draft analysts didn't hear his name called on day one only three quarterbacks going in the first five picks and then no qbs picked after that point levis will still be available going into the start of day two i don't know that the seahawks are going to go that route but this would be the stage where maybe they would be willing to take a flyer on a guy that does have great physical tools but he hasn't been able to put everything together. And of course, as I've talked about, the decision-making is the thing with him that scares me the most. Uncorking throws into double and triple coverage, those are things that would scare me as a prospect. But as a second rounder, that may be an investment the Seahawks are willing to make. You could also say that for Hendon Hooker, who's a little different situation. He's coming off a torn ACL, but a different style player. He is a very accurate pocket passer that also has the ability to run. I don't know how much it's going to be impacted by the injury he's coming off of, but both those guys could be potentially in play if the Seahawks want to get their quarterback of the future. As far as other positions of note, at tight end, you've got Michael Mayer, who's still available. I thought he was going to be a first-round pick, but ended up sliding out of the first round. And Sam Laporta is one of the fast risers at tight end, the guy that can create with the football in his hands and is also a very sound blocker. Might be one of the better all-around tight ends in this class. I expect both these players are going to be day two selections. Mayer might be one of the first picks that happens on Friday. We're talking about one of the premier tight ends that can do a little bit of everything. Maybe not the best athlete, but really good route runner, can win downfield, can make contested catches, and in my opinion, the best blocking tight end in this class. So I think he goes early on day two. At running back with Jameer Gibbs going at pick 12, he was a guy that I thought would go on day two. There's going to be plenty of running backs picked in the second and third round, but Zach Charbonnet is probably the one right now that jumps out to me as the first one that will be off the board with his size, his ability to run between the tackles, and his pass-catching ability. He's the best all-around back that's still available on the board and may appeal to the Seahawks as a change of pace back to Ken Walker the third. They can give them some key reps on Sundays, and I think he can also be a third-down player potentially for Seattle. And one other offensive lineman I want to mention real quick, I touched on Mock as well as John Michael Schmitz. I think that Joe Tippman from Wisconsin is another player they'll hear his name called at some point in the second round. He's been a fast riser, experienced, an athletic guy at six foot six. He can maul people, but very light on his feet. He's a guy that I'm really excited to see where he ends up going on Friday as well and could make some sense for the Seahawks. Now, when you look at the defensive side of the football, there's some big names that are still on the board. And 
I don't know the Seattle goes with a safety in the second round, but I predicted it yesterday. I think they will pick a safety at some point here in the middle rounds. And Brian Branch still remains out there with his slot versatility. He can play both safety positions. He could be a player that makes some sense. Trenton Simpson at linebacker built kind of like a safety, more of a money linebacker style. Those two players are both available. As far as pure linebackers, with Jack Campbell being off the board, there's going to be a big dip once Drew Sanders from Arkansas is selected. But he has not been picked yet, a guy that has some ability to rush off the edge. He's actually a player that, if Seattle's not going to go defensive line, he might be a player they jump at just because of the drop-off at linebacker. He could be the pick potentially at pick 37. Now let's get to the defensive line because that is really where the Seahawks have to attack. And most of my list here consists of defensive tackles and edge rushers for a reason. That is where this football team has got to get better. And Choosing not to pick a defensive lineman in the first round, it remains need number one, two, and three for this football team. At defensive tackle, there's three names that really jumped out. With Mozzie Smith going to the Cowboys in round one, he's off the board. If you're looking for a nose, Siaki Ika from Baylor, almost 350 pounds, underrated athleticism and quickness, can rush the passer a little bit. I think he's the best remaining pure nose tackle that is available in this draft class. But there are a few other guys that can play nose and also have the flexibility to play the three-tech. Keanu Benton being my personal favorite of their player from Wisconsin, Four sacks last year, very stout against the run. Difficult guy to move off the line of scrimmage. Has plus athleticism to go with it. I think he goes early day two. Maybe the Seahawks at pick a number 37. And Ade Adabari from Northwestern ran a 4-4-9 at 282 pounds. Probably more of a three-tech. Can play off the edge as well. A player the Seahawks had in for a top 30 visit. He could be another player that's in play there. I thought he might be in play at 20. He could be in play at pick number 37 if he still remains available. As far as your edge rushing positions, B.J. Ojolari, the really athletic, twitchy LSU pass rusher, is still on the board. Another player that visited Seattle for a top 30 visit that could be an option with one of their picks in the second round. And there's also Dayon Henley from Washington State, uber-athletic linebacker, formerly a receiver at the start of his college career at Nevada, has got interception ability, can play really sound coverage, has been used as a blitzer, gets after the quarterback, and improving instincts against the run. The local ties playing at Washington State, he could be somebody that's on Seattle's radar with one of those two picks in the second round. If he slips into the third round, maybe a pick 83. I don't think that happens. I think he's picked in the second round. But there's a number of prospects that would check off major needs for the Seahawks. And again, defensive line's got to be addressed at some point. Seattle can't go into day three without making a pick at front line. They're going to have to do something. So somebody like Benton, Adabare, Ika, somebody of that nature, maybe Gervin Dexter from Florida being another option. Once you get past that cluster of names, there's a significant dip at the defensive tackle position. So this feels like the sweet spot since they haven't done it already. You need to go out and get some guys that can be impact difference makers on your defensive line right away in 2023. There's still a few guys I think can do that available. If you don't pick one of these guys that pick 37 or 52, though, uh, there's a very good chance that they're not going to be available once you get into the third round and you pick again at pick number 83. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms to ensure that you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow after the second and third round, I'll be doing a similar show, breaking down each of Seattle's picks 
in the middle rounds here on day two. And I'll be looking at the best players available heading into the fourth round and the final day of the draft. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Go Hawks.